Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Who is your ultimate authority? The Sunday School answer is, of course, Jesus. But is he actually the authority of your life? In a culture where people are stepping away from biblical authority, it is important to know what truth actually is. Today, we will discover how God has revealed himself to us through his word and the importance of living by his word in an ever-changing culture. Enjoy the message. We are in our second week of In God We Trust, and this is a time that we are going to learn how to navigate a culture that it's just a little bit interesting, right? Some of you are online and you're doom scrolling, right? You're just looking through this and you're like, what's going on in society? But this isn't a time to live in doom. This isn't a time for us to hunker down and say, just tell me when the storm is over. I want you to be equipped as believers, no matter what's happening in culture, whether it's good, whether it's bad, or it's somewhere in between, to be the people of God, to advance the kingdom of God, to be a person of good news of hope today we're going to talk about something that is near and dear to my heart Uh, it is about authority about whose authority that you listen to Uh, what are you to be all about see as a church we have a mission a very distinct mission it's from the mission from Jesus uh, is to lead people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus Our vision is that you personally connect other people to the power of God through the gospel of Jesus Christ. We want to see this city so saturated with gospel conversations. We want to see it so saturated with the power of God that it is changing because people's lives are changed through the gospel. And as I said last week, John Cooper hit some uh, hard topics. Uh, Some of us were like, yes. Some of us were like, I don't know what I think about that. And a lot of us, all of us, we were challenged. And today I want to talk about something that he hit on last week, and that is truth, that is authority. Uh, By whose authority are we living by? Uh, By what truth are we living by? In fact, Paul encouraged his apprentice Timothy to live under God's authority. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 18, it says this, Timothy, my son, I'm giving you this instruction in keeping with the prophecies previously made about you, so that by recalling them you may fight the good fight. Having faith in a good conscience, which some have rejected and have shipwrecked the faith. You see, in Emmanuel, our core value, our number one core value is this, is that we take God at his word. What is his word? His word, ultimate authority, is his scripture. And what Paul is, is saying to Timothy is that some people are departing from his word and they're experiencing what he calls shipwreck. And, and Paul knew what a shipwreck was. Uh, if you read the book of Acts, uh, he was shipwrecked a number of times, right? Without standing on the truth of Jesus, we risk shipwreck in the faith. And I believe that we're entering a time that we are going to see a number of people. People that we thought that were strong in the faith, and including ourselves, we can't exempt ourselves, that are no longer standing on the word of God and that are going to be spiritually shipwrecked. Spiritually, they they will say that, yes, they believe in Jesus, but they're following a Jesus that we don't find in the scriptures. We are in an increased time of just that. So before we go on, let's pray. Because I I want the Spirit of God to be working in our hearts. I don't want us to just learn information. I'm like, oh, that was interesting. I want the Spirit of God to meet with us this morning, to challenge us, to convict us, to move forward where he's asking us to go. So, Father, we pray this morning. We pray this morning that you would lead us. We pray this morning that our faith, would grow deeper in your word and that we would be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. 
We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this series in God We Trust, uh, it, it's not a political statement in God We Trust. I know it's on our money. I know it's in the House of Representatives. In God We Trust is a declaration. It's a declaration of are we going to trust God no matter what? Now, as we talk about authority, I, I want to just reminisce with you for a second. Uh, I've, I've mentioned a number of Alaska stories. Alaska is one of my favorite destinations. Uh, Allison comes along with me. She prefers the beach, right? Uh, but one of our years that we went to Alaska, we decided to go to Glacier Bay National Park. Now, Glacier Bay National Park is an interesting national park because the only way to get to it is by a boat. We don't own a boat, so we decided to go on what's called the National Park's uh, double-decker, all right? It's a, it's a two, I don't know what you call these things, a two-story, uh, you have your upper deck and your lower deck of the boat. I don't know what you call it, a double dinghy. I don't know. But uh, anyway, you had to take a boat to actually get into the bay. And this boat's main purpose was to actually drop off and pick up wilderness hikers. We're just like, hey, this is a great opportunity to take this boat uh, there and back so we can see actually the glacier. And so we took this boat in to see the glacier. It was beautiful. It was wonderful. Uh, but on our way back, uh, we noticed that they picked up a pretty eccentric man off the trails. He had been on the trails for a couple weeks, and he got onto the boat, and he was excited to see people. And he found this other guy, and, and they began to talk. And I, as I began to eavesdrop, little did they know that I could hear them because they were thinking that they were talking by themselves. The wind was drawing their conversation down to Allison and I, and they're talking about some interesting stuff. So it was my entertainment for the next hour. I'm sorry I indulged. But anyway, uh, but during, this, during their conversation, they, I, I found out that they were executives. This individual had just come off the trails. He was a, an executive for a company that I won't say, but it does have the word book in it. All right, it's a social media company with the word book in it. All right, so if you're, if you're following me here, but he was talking about just why they do this. Say that this company, this company with book in the name, would send their executives out to the wilderness to be one with nature. He was talking about how divine it was, of, of just the trees and all that, and, and he just loved that, all right? But he also to, to dream and to brainstorm, where could the company go in the weeks, months, and years ahead? And so as they began to exchange their, their positions and their companies and their goals, they got to their dreams. And this is where it got interesting and it got scary at the same time. Now, mind you, this is in 2015. All right, so some of the dreams that you're about to hear, I think, are already happening. Uh, but they, but they, he talked about how our company, with book in the name, uh, we, right now we, we put things up on our, our, our social media wall, our, 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 our feeds, and usually they're things that happened in the past or right now. Uh, they may be what you had at Christmas or what you ate for lunch or what you did that afternoon. And we want to get away from that, the executive said. We want to do something that actually can be predictive. Uh, we want to be able to do something with the data that we get from everybody's movements to where we can actually predict their future and we can influence their future. And I thought, ooh, are you listening to this? So, for instance, one of the examples he said was, we want to have, we, we are gathering so much data that we have a little data avatar of a person that where we can understand through the algorithms of what they may want or what they should do. So he said, for instance, if you're single, we want to get to the point where you can see on your stream who you should date. I thought, whoa. And if, and if you're looking to buy a house before you even know you should buy a house, we know so much through the square footage of your certain area that you live, uh, through the items that you're buying, when you should buy a house, and what house you should buy. We want to be that predictive. 
And then he said, and now this is, and listen, you're going to be like, Andy, I think you're making this up. You can ask Allison. We both heard him like, no one's going to believe it's right. Uh, but then he said, and you know these areas around the world where there's, where there's tensions and sometimes there's riots. What we want to do is we want to be able to just some kind of simmer it down a little bit. So if we notice that people are putting things out there that may escalate a situation. We may depress the information. We actually may put positive information on people's walls so that we can maybe see a riot stop or we can see maybe a revolution cease and I'm like am I hearing this correctly well now we fast forward to 2020 does any of that surprise you does it in fact some of you are like well no I've already seen some of that right like for instance Alice and I were in the Menards and we were looking for a new vanity and we we're looking at the vanity we we're gonna buy and lo and behold on our phones what do you think showed up the vanity, right? How many of you does that happen to? You start talking about an item you want or whatever, and then all of a sudden it's magically on a Google ad or it's magically on your Facebook. Am I right? Am I the only person here? Yes, I'm seeing heads nod. You can participate. You can, you can talk out loud. It's okay. You can type and chat online, all right? We're participatory here, okay? <laughs> and so, yes, it, these things have happened. There's a lot of data that is, that is being collected by you. And I'm not trying to say, oh, we need, to be, we need to get off the grid or we need to go buy a plot of land in Montana and we just need to get away from this world. No, it's just the world that we live in, but we need to be aware of the world that we live in. We're constantly being steered by messages that want us to buy something, to want us to think a certain way, to want us to do certain things. In fact... Again, I'm not saying for us to unplug. I'm just saying we need to be aware of what billions and billions of dollars is trying to get you to do. In fact, this year alone, they, they are approximating here uh, in 2021, they're going to spend $400 billion in advertisements pinpointed towards your data this year. Data to influence you and in how to buy and how to think. One recent study from uh, last fall, the fall of 2020, stated that a majority of young people, again, they spend millions of dollars on these studies. We could have totaled this, right? But last fall, a study came out to state that most young people in their 20s and under, they are not getting information like any other generations before. They're getting their information not even from news websites, traditional news websites, even alternative news websites. They're getting their news from online influencers on Instagram, Snapchat, and YouTube, on podcasts on double speed. In fact, high schoolers are getting the majority. According to this study, again, I don't know if this is true or not, studies or studies, but one study said that high schoolers get the majority of their news from memes. Memes! You know the things that we laugh at? That's, that's the nightly news for teenagers, right? Memes! In fact, last January, if you remember, can remember January 2020, that was, I think, 40 years ago, uh, but uh, in January 2020, there was the fear of, could we go to war with Iran? Remember that? That was a long time ago, right? And so like, we're like, oh no, what's going on with Iran? You know, there were some, you know, missile exchanges, things like that. And there was memes that were going all over the internet about how World War III was about to commence and there was going to be, and this was all in joke format, right? All satire, but basically said, is there going to be a draft? There's going to be a draft. It, it scared teenagers so bad, according to the study, that the New York Times had to put out an article saying, no, there's not going to be a World War III, and no, there's not going to be a draft. And of which the teenagers said, what's the New York Times, right? 
To put it simply, our society, especially uh, late millennials, those were uh, the late millennial generation, I would say, is, is, are people that were born in the late 80s, early 90s, and especially those in Generation Z, those born in the late 90s to early um, 2000, or excuse me, to the 2010s, they get their information not from the Word of God, they get their information from their phones, from their screens. And I know some of you are like, well, I have the Bible app on my screen. Yeah, you do. I have the Emmanuel Kenosha Church on my screen. Yeah, you do. But the thing is, is there's a lot of other things on that phone. All you have to do is Google something and you can get 35 opinions that all magically appear on page one and page two. And they're indiscriminate of what's true and what's not. Mark Matlock says this in his book, Faith for Exiles. He says, instead of relying on the wisdom of previous generations, many young people turn to friends and algorithms. Whereas screen and online connectedness can make one's uh, sharing their faith easier, what we're seeing is to the contrary. In fact, uh, this survey from the Barna Group said 64% of young adults are more hesitant, even though we're more connected online, to share our faith. Truths are going through a filter of online narratives, that in turn shape our perception of the world, a very godless world with godless values, with a woke uh, morality. It is an understatement to say that we are living in a historical flip. Some people say that it's much like the 1960s. I think there's some similarities, but I think in some ways we're accelerating in a way the 1960s never saw. So again, what we're seeing in the religious landscape and the landscape of our culture, at least in the United States of America, or at least in the Western world, we have never experienced this in our lifetimes. There's been a changing morality in our culture that is so very rapid. And as a result, there's been a great exodus in churches, especially among young people. In fact, uh, the irreligious, those that consider themselves not religious at all, not affiliated with church, uh, has exponentially increased. We're now up to 25% in the last census. We have a new one coming out, so we're going to have new information very soon. But 25% of the people in the general population would claim they are not religious. Of which, when you just isolate millennials and Zs, it's 50%. And of the millennials and Zs that are attending church uh, around America and in the West, only 50% would say they're really into it. What I'm saying is, right now the graphs, they're always behind, they always show you what happened in the past. What I'm going to tell you is, the data on the ground shows, especially with our young people, that if it doesn't turn around, if we don't reach young people, that's why I've said over the years, we need to reach the next generation now, we still need to do that. We need to reach the next generation now, because if we don't reach the next generation now, there won't be a next generation to talk about in this country. So predictively, if we see here, if this remains constant, what you're seeing uh, literally is not just a slow rise in irreligiosity. It's going to be a curve that goes up exponentially. I don't believe that is what our, our lot is in life. I believe that, listen, I believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ can exponentially grow in this city. I believe there have been words over this city. I believe, I believe there have been words over this region. I do not speak that over this region. Amen? I believe that the power of the gospel is bigger than anything that we can encounter in culture and church. I say all these things and our natural response is, we better hunker down so we can survive. No, I'm saying we need to know how to engage the culture so that, yes, indeed, you do survive, but that we can advance in the culture, giving the glory of the gospel amongst the people around us. We're to engage this 
culture. The New Testament engaged the culture. It was no different for them. I mean, they didn't have social media, but it was, it was not only hard to be a believer in the New Testament culture, it, it could cost you your, your, your job, it could cost you your family. Often people were imprisoned or killed, right? So it, it cost a lot to be a follower in the New Testament. And yet what we saw was explosive growth in the early church. So if there's anything that we are to learn from the New Testament church, it's through the power of the Holy Spirit and through standing on the truth of the scriptures, I want you to know this. We can advance no matter the hardship that we face. And listen, we will lose if you look at the hardship and say, we better hunker down and give up and just go into self-preservation mode. But here's the deal. I don't want to candy coat this. I think too many... Speakers in the name of Jesus have candy coated this, and I think it's going to lead people to ruin the shipwreck. So I'm just going to be real. I'm not going to be a, a doomsdayer. I want to be real, but I believe that, again, I'm more hopeful than ever right now, okay, within that, okay? It's, I'm trying to manage this tension, all right? But I believe there are a lot of believers that are going to be shipwrecked in their faith if they don't start getting in the Bible right now. I believe that it's going to accelerate so much you're not going to know how to navigate culture. You're going to begin to flirt with things that are not of Jesus and you're going to find yourself one or even two years from now saying, I don't even know if I believe in that. You're shipwrecked. Why? Because you, you took your feet off the truth of Jesus Christ and his word. So here's a question I have for you. This is our main point. Where do you find your authoritative truth? Where do you find your authoritative truth? Now, I know the Sunday school answer. I know the church answer. It's what? It's, right? Okay, the Bible, let's say it together. You know what the right answer is. It starts with a J. Where do you find your authoritative truth? And where do you find the authoritative truth of Jesus? In the, starts with a B, in the? Oh, good, you passed, great, right? We can know the information. We know the right answers. I think even an atheist could give that answer. But the question is, where do you really find it? Where are you leaning towards? What, what, what is your heart open up to? Be brutally honest. Where do you lean in from truth? Is it the Bible? Is it podcasts on double speed? Is it philosophy? Is it pop psychology? Is it pop culture? Is it mentors? Answer honestly, because how you answer honestly, you can know how you need to adjust this morning. Answer honestly. Where are you finding your authoritative truth? And as we answer that question for you personally and collectively, I want to go to uh, the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 1. So if you can turn there in your Bibles uh, or your YouVersion Bible app. And listen, here's the deal. We're going to talk about how important the Bible is. So I want everybody in their Bibles today. I don't want you like, I'll just listen to it. If you're brand new, by the way, and by the way, we love our guests here, you can, want, you can look at the screen, all right? But if you've been here for more than a couple weeks, I want you to get used to getting in your Bible in church. Because if you're not going to get in your Bible in church, you're not going to get it into it at home. I guarantee you that, all right? So Galatians chapter 1, that's where we're going and Paul is writing to the church of Galatia. It's a region in central modern-day Turkey. Uh, there was a number of churches in this region. You can call it like a state. Uh, and so he's writing to this, these churches that he had planted. Because within about one year after he left these churches uh, to go on to plant other churches, wolves came into the church. False teachers came into the church. They began to teach something contrary to the gospel Paul preached. And it was a real mess. 
These teachers, which we would call Judaizers, they, they, they wanted to teach that you need the gospel of Jesus Christ, but you also need to do these other things. And in their context, there were Jewish rituals. They were, they, they were festivals, or there were circumcision, or they were, hey, you better not eat that certain thing. And there are these different things that say, if you want to fit in with us, you got to start doing these things. You can keep the gospel, but you need to do these things. If you don't do these things, there's going to be trouble. And so some of the people are like, you know what, let's make our gospel a little bit more palatable to the people around us so we can live in peace. That was the trouble they were facing. Hmm, sounds like something we are tempted to face, right? Let's make our message a little bit more palatable. Let's not read that verse in scripture because it might make people mad. Let, let's, let's change the meaning of this verse, right? It's happening all over the place in the name of Jesus and people are doing it not because it's truth but because they want to fit in. And listen, church, I want you to know right now this is not a time to just water down the truth. We need the truth because the truth will set us free. So Paul's response to these false teachers could not be any clearer. Galatians chapter 1, verse 6, this is what he says. <clears throat> I am amazed that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by grace of Christ who are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven to preach to you a gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, a curse be on him. As we have said before, and I'll say it again, if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to what we've received, a curse be on him. For I am now trying to persuade people or God, or am I striving to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. And that's so true, because Paul, uh, when he was pleasing people, it's before he knew Jesus, he was the Hebrew of Hebrews. Everybody knew who he was. He was a celebrity. People would stop and get his autograph. And now, because he's a follower of Christ, he's hated. People see him. They want him dead, all right? So if he was a people pleaser, he would definitely not be a servant of Christ. But what was happening is he was seeing his church trying to be people pleasers and be servants of Christ. You can't be both. The authoritative truth, the church of Galatia, had moved away from was the teaching of the apostles, and we have the teaching of the apostles in Scripture today. They're moving away from that, and they were embracing strange teachings. These false teachers, the Judaizers, were trying to get them to adopt ways that they liked, ways that they believed that, that could make them more palatable in society. So, my question is this. Where do you find your authoritative truth? Again, the Church of Galatia was moving away from the word of God, uh, and they were trying to fit in. Are you finding your authority from scripture, or are you trying to have scripture fit in, or you don't even worry about scripture, and you're just trying to fit in? What is it? Where do you find your authoritative truth? Where do you find authoritative truth? No matter uh, where you're at this morning in finding authoritative truth, I want to address two things. Two things in our search for truth. Number one is this. You will, in your walk with Jesus, and I realize there's some here today, you don't know where you're at with Jesus. I realize there's some here today, you're, you're, you're still trying to figure things out. That's awesome. That's cool. All right? We love that. But if you're a follower of Christ today, I want you to know this. You will encounter a false gospel. You will encounter a different gospel in your life. You'll hear someone preach something, and you'll be like, man, that sounds great. It sounds really nice. sounds really kind, but that just sounds a little off. You know, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, have you felt that before, right? Well, you will encounter that. Don't be surprised. You will encounter that. Again, Galatians chapter 1, verse 6. I'm amazed 
that you're so quickly turning away from him who called you by grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Well, what's the difference? Oh, there's a different gospel? You mean we got gospels to choose? Ooh, give me the easier one. Verse 7, not that there is another gospel, but there are some who are troubling you who want to distort the gospel of Christ. Again, within a year, the church was already abandoning the true gospel, and it was wrecking the heart of Paul. And, and notice this word. It says they're quickly, in the CSB, it says they're quickly turning away. Some of your other translations may say desert. Uh, this quickly turning away, this phrase in the original uh, comes from a very powerful word. Uh, it, it, it really means to desert. It really means to depart, to abandon. Uh, when people would hear this word, it, it'd be like you switching teams in the midst of battle and war right? It's like in the movies, like if you're a Star Wars fan. So we have some Star Wars fans in here, right? Can I geek out just a little bit? All right, Star Wars Episode Three. I know it doesn't get a lot of attention, but I think it's brilliant at the end, all right? Why? Because they capture the essence of somebody that turned away, all right? And that is Anakin Skywalker. Anakin Skywalker, for those of you that aren't in the Star Wars world, that starts Vader before he was bad, right? Anakin Skywalker is conflicted. He knows what the truth is, but he also wants to flirt with power, right? And so at the end of the movie, he turns and he becomes Darth Vader, right? Okay, that is switching teams, all right? But for those of you that aren't Star Wars freaks, how about some NBA, right? LeBron James, right? How do you think Cleveland felt when he went to LA, right? He switched teams, right? And the thing is, this is exactly what it is, is that we think that we can be gospel plus something else, or I'm gonna be a little bit of Jesus, or you know, I'm, gonna, I'm just gonna embrace a little bit of these teachings over here. I know that it might not be orthodox, but I just wanna embrace these because I like these. Listen, what Paul is saying is, it's not the gospel, you've actually switched teams. Whew. That's heavy, isn't it? The church was facing false teachings, teachings that were challenging the church, challenging people's faith, and listen, here's the deal. When you're challenged, when you're challenged with a different gospel, you kind of tense up a little bit and you know this is, this is the gospel. This is what I know is true, right? This is what the Bible says. But for some of us, and if we can all be honest here for a second, and all of us, when the heat is rising, maybe you're in the workplace and you're the only follower of Christ. Maybe you're in, uh, in your freshman college courses, right? Uh, maybe your friends, uh, you're just finding yourself just by yourself, orphaned in your faith. There are times that doubts, that little voice kind of starts to speak in your mind. Well, what if they're right? Right? I mean, if we're honest here, we've heard that voice before. What if they're right? What if I'm wrong, right? This happened to me when I was a freshman in uh, college. I, I had what I would call some doubts creep up. Uh, the first time I was legitimately challenged in my faith, when I was a freshman in college, I was in psychology class, all right? So uh, how many of you in college have been challenged in your faith a little bit? Someone's called you dumb for following Christ. Like the, these professors just every day would rip into Jesus, right? They'd say, how could you actually believe in this thing? Or how could you believe in the Bible? And how, they, they made you just feel like a child. And so I remember writing a paper one time from a worldview of faith. Uh, and again, I was in a giant lecture hall, so they didn't know who I was. I barely knew who they were. But one day after class, they called my name out. And I thought, oh, man, what, what's going on? Like, Andy, would you come to the front? And so I went to the front. And they said, Andy, uh, we read your paper. I was like, yeah? And they said, yeah, so you used a lot of theological terms. First off, how, how could you believe that? You know, we're supposed to be, you know, budding scholars here. We're supposed to be people that are, that, that are, are true about scholarship. And you're bringing in these fairy tales. I'm like, oh, okay, is that why you brought me up here? It's like, no, we brought you up here because somebody else wrote from a context of faith and they use very similar theological words and we're gonna charge you two with cheating. I thought, what? 
No, no. And so, again, I knew this was completely preposterous. They said, you take a zero or you get expelled. I said, I'm not going to take any. So I went to the dean. I won my case. Unfortunately, the other guy, he dropped. He didn't, want, he didn't face the heat. And, and, and I realized, like, what in the world did I just go through? And I sat through the rest of the semester in this psychology class, and it was awkward. Now, I would love to tell you that during this time, because I won the whole case and I, I presented my faith, that I just dove deeper in my faith and I grew and I felt good. I didn't. I began to think, well, I didn't embrace this, but the, the, the thoughts were, what if they're right? Those are called doubts. Doubts uh, are human. Doubts happen. For honest, we all have them and sometimes they come whether it be the freshman college course maybe they come when when you believe that god should have showed up in a certain way and he didn't uh, maybe you lost a loved one uh, maybe you didn't get the promotion that you wanted uh, maybe a relationship fizzled and you're like god where are you do you even care about me those are called doubts right the thing is this doubts are very different listen to this doubts are very different than unbelief Doubts are questions. And questions, if you have a question, it, it should lead you to dive deeper into what? In, into truth, the Bible, right? But oftentimes, doubts, people begin to embrace what's called unbelief. You see, doubts happen. I love what Alicia Childress says. Uh, doubts happen. They, they bubble up in the context of faith. But unbelief is a choice. It's embracing that, God, you aren't in control. Very different you see, in my case, instead of uh, stepping away from the Bible, which had been unbelief, instead of stepping away from prayer or stepping away from church, and I hear people say this, you know, I'm just, I'm just going to give God a pause right now. That ends in spiritual shipwreck. It really does. What I did instead with, 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 my, with doubts is I dove deeper into the word of God. I got on my knees and I said, God, help me with these things. And I dove deeper into, Tom, actually, if you can give me that, all right, here. I, I dove deeper into what's called apologetics. And I wanted to make sure I brought this. Uh, this is Josh McDowell's The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict. I read this book as a freshman in college, and it changed my life. I would say this is the second most important book behind the Bible. Why? Because I realized what Josh McDowell talks about, all these evidences that are in the Bible, is a phrase that I'm going to borrow from his book. He says that you don't have to commit intellectual suicide to have faith in Jesus. Listen, you, you can't get to Jesus by intellectually knowing things, all right? You have to get to Jesus through faith. There's a, there's a point where you have to step in and say, okay, I have faith in you. Uh, where, where I don't have everything figured out, I'm still, I'm going to stand on your promises. I believe that you're Lord. I believe that you're Savior. But listen, here's the deal. That doesn't mean that you have to have a blind faith, right? And this is what I love about this book. It shows why we could trust our Bible. It shows why we could trust in miracles. It shows why we can trust in the supernatural. It's a fantastic book. If you don't have it, the reason why I'm holding it up is get it on Amazon today, all right? Or wherever the books are sold, all right? But get me for that to be a commercial, but just get it, all right? The thing is, what this book taught me is there is objective truth. I didn't need to be taught that, but I had to be reaffirmed that. You want to know why? As John talked about last week, objective truth has been under attack for the last 20 to 30 years. And it's metastasized in what we call postmodern mindset and what we're going to talk about in just a moment, deconstruction. But not believing in objective truth means that you decide what truth is. And it's preposterous because, I mean, to give you an example off of the many examples John gave last week, if I were to stand in the middle of Pershing and 60th and I got hit by a Kenosha City bus, right, what's going to happen to me? I'm either going to be severely hurt and injured or die. 
But listen, if it's by my truth, though, I can just say, oh, I'll just go right through it. I'll be okay, right? No, that's, it's not by my truth. It's by what's, it's physics. And yet, we somehow believe that morality or we somehow believe that just different things in our life, even science, that we can define what it's all about. We must reject relative truth. We must. Again, if you have doubts that creep into mind, you're normal, but take comfort. When you do a deep dive into God's objective truth, your faith will grow. The problem is this, though. As people are are faced with a false gospel, as you hear a different gospel, there is an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. There's an epidemic of biblical illiteracy. That means that people do not know the word of God. For some people, the only way they can reconstruct the word of God is by what they hear on Sunday morning. That's not enough. For some people, it's it's the Bible verse a day on the YouVersion Bible app. That's better than nothing, but you're not going to grow with that. You need to be in the word of God regularly. It's an epidemic. And I want to tell you right now, and I'll say it again. I'm going to say it I'm blue in the face. I know some of you are like, Andy, you talk about this every week. I, I, I'm living and breathing this right now because here's the deal. I don't want to see in one to two years you shipwrecked in the faith. I want to see you thriving. I want to see you be an influence. I want to see God use you in mighty ways that this culture needs. And yet, if you're not in the word of God and when doubts creep in, the doubts will not naturally have you died deep into the word of God, you're going to try to figure it out yourself or by what you heard or you're going to borrow information. And doubts that don't go to God become unbelief. And unbelief that is saturated and let's sit in the throne of your heart becomes deconstruction. Deconstruction. It comes to the postmodern mindset which reconfigures the way that truth is delivered. Uh, John Cooper talked about it last week. Uh, He says the person that believes in absolute truth says the grass is green. But the person that believes in relative truth says, what is green? (laughs) The sky is blue. What is blue, right? Deconstruction comes from a postmodern mindset. It's from a philosophy that defines deconstruction this way. Deconstruction perceives that language, especially ideal concepts such as truth and justice, is irreducibly complex, unstable, or impossible to determine. Basically, to shorten this definition, it means how can you know anything? There might be something that's defined today, but may need to be redefined tomorrow. And so instead of there being objective truth with this mindset, truth is crowdsourced. And today, approved voices uh, within these crowds tell you what's true or not. Uh, John talked a lot about critical theory last week. That is very true. Once you see critical theory, it's very hard to unsee. You realize in society who the voices become the arbiter of truth. If someone says something by a certain way, uh, they will say, here is uh, this truth and you need to embrace it. And if you disagree with me, then you are wrong. All right. And the thing is, that's not how we arrive at truth. We arrive at truth through the word of God. But with the understanding of deconstruction, words are always changing. Words like love, concepts like marriage, everything. There is, because there's no objective truth. And what is true today may be untrue tomorrow and maybe a new truth uh, the next day. You know, this definition back to deconstruction, again, deconstruction perceives that language, especially ideal concepts such as truth and justice, is irreducibly complex and unstable or impossible to determine. The only thing I, I agree with this definition is that it's unstable. It's literally unstable. Now, I also find it funny 
that a mindset that says you can't know anything is trying to define something. They actually have a definition. I find that, I found that funny. But here's what we can understand from deconstruction. Nothing is universal. Nothing's objective or absolute. Instead, they assert that truth is constructed by societies. Now, today, again, through critical theory, uh, societies, again, you have different arbiters, different uh, stakeholders of truth, and usually has to deal with areas of oppression, right? And so if you are somebody, according to critical theory, that didn't have power now, now you have power, and you're the arbiter of truth because of your experience. And this experience becomes true because the shared collective experience of society says it's true. Uh, that is awful. All right, that means that you can really redefine anything. And by the way, critical theory, which has different branches of theory, originated in Germany in the 1930s. Do your history, all right? Germany, 1930s, don't need to say anything more. Deconstruction takes the unchanging word of God and exchanges it for an emotional groupthink. Uh, people begin to question everything from social structures, family structures, gender, God's word, everything. They dismantle their understandings to arrive at something completely different. And what we call this in a theological sense, uh, when you deconstruct and began to rebuild uh, upon this foundation of collective theological groupthink, it's called progressive Christianity. Progressive Christianity. You may have heard this term, maybe not. Progressive Christianity usually finds its home uh, in mainline churches. Many of the mainline churches abandoned the word of God in the early 1900s, uh, and, it, and it accelerated through the 1900s. But now progressive Christianity isn't just within mainline denominations. It's knocking at the door of every denomination, every church, every Christian's heart, because we are living in a culture that says that you can't know truth. Does that make sense? Because you can't know truth, when people, progressive Christians, uh, look at the Bible, uh, they read the Bible with putting their meaning upon it. It's not about what we can discover, what God is saying through his word. Uh, what they're saying, uh, if you're deconstructing and consider yourself a progressive Christian, you're saying, this is the meaning I'm putting on it. For instance, on, on issues such as gender, issues such as sexuality, uh, in their arguments today, and we'll get into these in the weeks to come, is that Greek words that have been understood a certain way for 2,000 years, that the original Greek readers of the Bible would understand very clearly, are being redefined in the last couple decades. Why? Because you can bring meaning to any text that you want. We've all been in these Bible studies before, right? Where they're like, well, you know, the way I see it or the way I feel, right? Deconstruction is a worldly therapy. The question has shifted from what is true to how does it make you feel? There's a focus of self-esteem which leads to ultimately the rejection of sin, People have embraced postmodern mindset, disregard traditional views of any propositional truth. In fact, this is uh, spoken about in a very important book called Another Gospel by Alicia Childers. Uh, she was a former singer in the Christian band Zoe Girl. And she would often perform uh, before the main event acts in the heat of the, night, uh, heat of the day. Uh, and over years and years and years of, of uh, singing on these stages, uh, she, got, she got what's called, uh, she calls it a pebble in her shoe. We would call it a chip on our shoulder. Uh, she got very, very down on the things of the church. She wasn't in the church because she was performing. She got very, very down on the things of the gospel, and she began to just question everything. If you want to read a book, please get another gospel. If you even disagreed with the things that even you heard from last week from John, I think this book would be very helpful because this is uh, from a believer that deconstructed and then got out of it. 
This is what she did. She was burnt out. She began attending a new church after her band was done, and she was excited about the raw, insightful uh, church that she found. She had a chip on her shoulder, and she found other people that had the chip on their shoulder mindsets. She was sour about the church, and she was happy to be with other people that were sour as well. I don't want to say that all her, uh, all her ideas of what could be different about the church were wrong. They probably weren't. It's about how she went about it that led her to very wrong places. After she heard uh, the pastor and gotten involved with the church, the pastor invited her to a small Bible study, but this Bible study was unlike any other Bible study. It was a secret group, and they began to talk about how in this secret group you can bring any idea, and any idea is a level idea. There's no right or wrong in this group. Just speak it. And by the way, that should be a red flag, shouldn't it, right? Now she began to attend this exclusive class. The pastor began to whisper and say, I got a secret for you. I am a hopeful agnostic. An agnostic? Does that seem odd to you that a pastor would be an agnostic? They don't know what to believe? I'm going to let you in a little secret. For, for years, I was on the speaking circuit. I would do different festivals. I'm going to let you know right now, there are whispers of those in some churches that are atheists, but they don't want to tell you. And you can always hear it from the way that they preach the word of God or how they preach the gospel. If they aren't preaching the gospel, I'm going to tell you this right now, that should be a red flag. But there are people, there are churches that are going to be coming out in the next couple of years, and it's going to frighten you. There was one major church that came out. They said, you know what? We believe in Buddha. We believe in poetry. And so what they do is they read pages of Buddha. They read pages of the Hindu religion. They read poetry with F words in it. This used to be a church that used to preach the gospel, but they stepped away from the gospel. Now they're embracing everything. It looks like a church service. They sing songs. Uh, they take an offering, and they give a word, but it has nothing to do with Jesus. As Alicia continued in this class, she uh, continued to embrace this progressive Christianity. She came to a moment, she says, you know what? I realized I wanted to progress in my faith, but my ability to understand God's word, my ability to live it out, I wanted to progress in those things, but I realized I didn't want to progress further than truth. So immediately she stepped back. She goes, we got we to get back to a church that's preaching the gospel. She got back and she began to grow in her faith again. Progressive Christianity is an entirely new religion. It's devoid of the real Jesus, bringing you a new version of Jesus that's more palatable to society. Paul warned Timothy about this. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, he said, The Spirit clearly says that in latter times, some will abandon the faith and follow deceiving spirits, things taught by demons. Where do you find authoritative truth? Where do you find it? Second point, quickly that you will be presented with another gospel but secondly you can trust the gospel you can trust the gospel but even if you or an angel of heaven should preach to a gospel contrary to what you have preached to you a curse be on him as we have said before and i'll now say again if anyone's preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received a curse be on him for i'm now trying to persuade people or god or am i striving to please people if we're still trying to please people i would not be a servant of christ paul is telling the vulnerable Galatian church, you can trust the gospel of Jesus Christ. There is no other gospel. Even if another angel tells you there's another gospel, it's not, uh, it's not the real gospel. And by the way, in history, angels have told people, supposed angels, about another way to God. That's how Mormonism started. That's how Islam started, right? Paul's warning us that there's going to be people that say they heard from an angel. They're going to say something about this new gospel, and it's going to seem completely contrary to the word of God. So can you trust the word of God? Yes, you can. Is the word of God without errors? Yes, it is. Uh, you mean to tell me that to, obey, uh, to disobey the word of God is to disobey God? Yes. 
Because although our Bibles are not God, it contains the words of God, and the words of God are our way that we should walk in life. Without the Bible, you can't know God fully. Oh, yes, there's people that say, I look at trees, and I look at mountains, and I see God. You've heard that, right? Oh, that tree just looks so beautiful. I just worship God through creation because creation is God. No, that's not it. In fact, Romans chapter 1 verse 20 says, For his invisible attributes, that is eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. As a result, people are without excuse. Yes, the nature, uh, the nature screams out a creator. When we see a beautiful mountain a scenery, when we see the, the night sky and the stars, when we see a beautiful redwood tree, we realize there is something bigger than us. But what pagan religions and neo-pagan religions do is they stop right there and they begin to worship the earth. They begin to worship the creation, whereas creation tells us there is something bigger. And because you can't place your faith and trust in Jesus through looking at a tree, you need what's called special revelation, and that is the word of God to give you that revelation. 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is inspired by the word of God and profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. The word of God has been written by over 40 authors over a course of 1,500 years, people that didn't know each other, people from all different walks of life. Talk about unity. You want to know what unified people from all different walks of life? What unified them was the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the living God who, who united people to give a united message of how we can be made in right relationship of God, how we can know the things of God, how to be equipped in the Spirit of God to do the work of the ministry. The Word of God, although we don't have the original manuscripts today, uh, we, we can be confident what we have today is what the original writers wrote. For instance, the reason why we don't is papyrus. They're written on papyrus. That, that, uh, that type of material falls apart over time. So we had what was called scribes. Scribes meticulously uh, make copies of Scripture all throughout the years. This is where that charge is. Well, how do you know? Uh, that, that the Bible is actually accurate, you know? There, there had to be some errors in, in the copying. Have you heard that before, right? Well, here's the deal. It was meticulously kept up. Why? Number one, I believe it's supernatural because God said that he would help uphold his word. But secondly, people understood what they were upholding. In fact, the, the word of God is the most attested to ancient document we have in all of the world. Homer's Iliad has 643 copies to back up its original copies. Uh, Levi's History of the Rome has 19 copies. Caesar has 10 copies. Plato has 7 copies. And you're tested on these things in high school, in college, as if it's accurate, right? But then somehow the same professors tell you, how could you believe the New Testament's accurate? It's intellectually dishonest for them to even level that charge because the New Testament, we have exact copies of 5,366, and when you add in the fragment copies, we have over 10,000. Nothing comes close. The word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. The word of God needs no upgrade. And listen, I want you to know this right now. If all the museums in the world that hold these manuscripts were to burn down simultaneously and we'd have no manuscripts to back up our text today, we could go back to the early church fathers and Christians. There's over 36,000 quotations. Just from those quotations alone, we can reconstruct the Bible that we would see today that they had back then. The, the word of God has been upheld. Here's the deal. If we are going to survive the onslaught, and actually, I don't want us to go into survival mode. 
I want us to be people of influence, of people that push the gospel forward, that love people, that, sh- that, that love people that are very different from you, that believe absolutely different than you. We, we are to walk alongside people and share the gospel of Jesus Christ, the love of Jesus Christ, not because we're better, but because Jesus Christ has entrusted us with a message to go to the whole world with. Get in this book. No more excuses. If you've been in the faith for longer than a couple weeks, no more excuses. Oh, it just is so hard, or I hear you. Uh, get in the book. I'm going to tell you, there's, there's followers of Christ that keep on telling me, oh, I just haven't, I haven't. I've been hearing that for 10 years. Get in the book. Did you take a shower? I hope, right? Yes. Get in the book. Did you brush your teeth? Yes. Get in the book. Did you put clothes on this morning? Yes. Get in the book. Did you drive here? Did you get to work on time? Yes. Get in the book. Do you eat three meals a day? Yes. Get in the book. What I'm trying to say is make it routine. You will compromise if you're not in it, if you don't study it, if you don't embody it, if you don't reach people with it. No more excuses. So where do you find your authoritative truth? The bottom line is we have spiritual responsibilities. We become student of the scriptures. You're to gracefully engage culture and to keep focused on its truth as we reach people. Let's pray. Father, we love you and we thank you so much that we can trust your word. God, I pray that uh, for those that, uh, for all of us, that we are challenged with the culture that we live in. That God, we are not to see people as enemies or see people as uh, this category, that. Lord, I pray that we'd see people as made in the image of God. That we are to gracefully love and walk alongside and share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. But God, I pray for everybody in this room that they would contend for the faith. That is my prayer for you right now, that you would contend for the faith, that you be people of truth, that you be people of the word. Contend for it. As we continue to pray, I just want to speak to anybody in this room right now who are, if you were to stand before Jesus, if Jesus were to come back right now, would you have a relationship with him? Would you know that you're going to heaven? I believe you're here right now because the spirit of truth has led you here. And to be right with God, you need Jesus. How do you receive Jesus? It's by placing your faith and trust in him alone. He died on the cross to save you from your sins. He rose from the dead. And our responsibility, everybody, is to place our faith and trust in him alone for the forgiveness of our sins. Would you do that? If you've never done that before, just pray out to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I need you. I want to place my faith and trust in you alone. Just pray out to him saying, Lord Jesus, enter my life, step into my life. Place your faith and trust in him alone. So Father, I just pray for us. People are saying yes to you right now, God. I pray, God, that you would give them the confidence to to follow you with all their lives now, that they would begin to, to walk in your ways. And God, I pray for everybody in this church now, God, that we would be serious with our faith. That, God, that we would not be led by the whims of, of culture, but, God, that we'd be led by your spirit, your Holy Spirit. God, I know that so many people want to hear your voice, but they're not in your words, so they don't know if they're hearing your voice or they're hearing uh, their voice or even the enemy's voice. God, I just pray that, God, as we, be, uh, as we become students of your word, God, we'd be able to hear your voice. God, I pray for people in this room now that your voice would be so clear that in the everyday leading of their life, God, that they would be able to hear the leading of you and they would know it's you. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. 
Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.